who gives a crap about a deep discount on the surgery you never needed? It means nothing. How, you know, Tom always likes to say in his speeches, if you've ever heard him talk, he'll say, how do you save 150% on a spine surgery? You don't have it. And, you know, that's just the reality. But unfortunately, that's healthcare in America. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Solving Healthcare podcast, a show where we seek to find and promote companies that are positively disrupting healthcare. And today, our interview is with Sean Rutledge. Sean Rutledge is the president of sales for Edison Health. Sean has been in the business of healthcare innovation for more than 25 years and is now leading the charge through Edison's network of smart care centers. Over the last eight years, Edison has built a private network of 17 smart care centers from Rochester to Los Angeles that house many of the top diagnostic and surgical teams in the nation for spine, cancer, orthopedic joint, heart, transplant, and many other adult and pediatric complex diagnoses. Edison is boldly addressing the dramatic misdiagnosis and overutilization rates throughout healthcare. With 6% of members averaging 80% of the annual spend for self-funded plans, their solutions are an economic necessity. And for Edison Healthcare's covered lives, a proper diagnosis, surgical avoidance, regenerative therapy, and extraordinary VIP care are absolute game changers for them, their families, and their employers. So Sean, this is really just a nice way to say welcome to the Solving Healthcare podcast. Yeah, thank you, Michael. I appreciate it. Very grateful to have you. I know that you have been growing like crazy. Could you take a second and talk a little bit about the foundation of your company? Absolutely. Thanks. And Edison, you know, was founded about 10 years ago by a guy named Tom Emmerich. And Tom is well known in our world. I know you knew about him and He's been a great friend and mentor of mine for a long time. And ultimately, Tom ran benefits for Walmart. And that's where he, and along with Sally Wellborn, created the Walmart Center of Excellence program that's so popular today. Saved the plan billions of dollars over the course of its existence. And what ultimately happened is a bunch of employers started reaching out to Tom asking, hey, how can we get a program like this? We don't have your expertise. We certainly don't have Walmart's horsepower to go in and kind of get these centers to do these things and treat patients the right way. And how can we get one of these? And, and what was this one of these? It was a heavy focus on, on a couple key principles. First and foremost, the 6%, acknowledging that about 6 to 8% of your population is spending all the plan dollars. And, and what is that? That's the knees, the hips, the spine, cancer, heart, transplants, bariatric, pediatric. In other words, complex care. That's the first principle. The second was we have an absolute epidemic of misdiagnosis, overutilization, and inappropriate care in America. That is what is killing healthcare. You know, philosophically, deep discount doesn't mean a whole heck of a lot to me. Deep discount hasn't solved healthcare once. It's really avoiding the things that are unnecessary. That's the true ROI for an employer. And Walmart proved that in spades. So that's what ultimately happened. Walmart, Sally Wellborn, allowed Tom to clone the program that became Edison Healthcare. It was founded in Cleveland, Ohio. Fast forward several years, I got involved. Again, I told you Tom was a good friend and mentor of mine and said, hey, Sean, can you help us grow Edison a little bit? We're just not getting where we need to be. And so we jumped in, uh, my firm, we jumped all in and helped it grow and we exploded very quickly. So much so that by fourth quarter of 2017, Tom's like, hey, Sean, why don't you guys just buy it? You're already doing all the work. You might as well. And we, sure enough, we did. And we've gone all new heights ever since and continue to grow. I th we've got well over 100 groups going live between now and 1-1, just to give you some context. But moved it to Tulsa, Oklahoma, because that's where I live. And 
we still keep the Cleveland office and uh, we have an office in Fayetteville, Arkansas, which is where Tom is. So anyway, that's kind of the history of our company and what it was truly founded on. Yeah. So it's interesting you, you, that what you said was a mouthful and you, you made a lot of great points. Now, you talked about discounts and discounts not meaning a darn thing. And, and I like to paint a picture so that most people that listen to this, they're, they're CEOs, CFOs, VP of HR, folks that are making purchasing decisions on behalf of either several hundred or several thousand employees. And what I find interesting when people talk about discounts, they talk about you know uh, uh, taking an average and moving it a few minuscule points in some direction of favorability. Well, what is missed in that whole conversation is that in any open access network, the range of cost can be so monumental from one facility to another. And you can break that down to facility, prescription drug, anything. There's such a profound variance in cost that it really makes discounts irrelevant because there's no correlation at all between quality of care and the actual price you pay. And so I'm assuming you would agree with me because you're shaking your head for those of you. hundred percent. Yeah. Who, here's my thing. And I, I say this kind of jokingly, but I, I say it to employers who gives a crap about a deep discount on the surgery you never needed. It means nothing. How, you know, Tom always likes to say in his speeches, if you've ever heard him talk, he'll say, how do you save 150% on a spine surgery? You don't have it. And you know, that's just the reality, but unfortunately that's healthcare in America. Yeah, agree totally. And and the other thing you said was that your your company itself is founded on the same or similar principles of what Walmart does right now. And their their plan has evolved. I remember when I used to work for Blue Cross, they were an HCSC client, and then mm-hmm. Blue Cross of of Arkansas said, "Hey, you know what? They're headquartered here. We're going to take it over." And around that time, now this was about a little bit more than a decade ago, actually it's longer than that, but that whole influence around finding a better, a better way to do things. And what I like to tell people is when I talk to them about you, is that if you think about Walmart, they have more in spend in their healthcare costs than some countries have as their GDP. They bring a different element to the table when it comes to how they can take this monumental expense and bring sensibility to it. And so... I know you talked a little bit about how your company was formed, but can you do me a favor? And what I, what I would really like to do is make sure people understand the size of the problem. Now, you said you focus on the 6%. I call them the 6 percenters, you, but everybody from an underwriting perspective, or if they run a business, they know that their high cost claims typically drive the bulk of their expenses for any given year. And the challenge is you never know who those high claimants are going to be from year to year. And so talk to me a little bit about when you talk about your high claims, the conventional wisdom is that, okay, that just has to run its course because there's nothing you can do. Respond to that. I think what you're saying is just how big is the problem? What is the impact that 6% is actually having? Maybe I'm not going to answer it properly, but hope maybe you can guide me a little bit. But nonetheless, when you look at Edison and what we're doing, just some, a couple quick stats to give you some context. Six out of 10 spine surgeries in Edison do not happen. You've been told in your local market, you need a fusion, for example. You go through our program in the care if you need it, second opinion care if you need it, and find out you don't need that spinal fusion. Maybe you needed something mentally evasive, like a laminectomy or something like that, that costs seven to $9,000 versus the you know, fusions, to your point, cost ranges all around the country. I've seen them as over $100,000. So, you know, that's what we're doing. 35% of all cancer in Edison is misdiagnosed. Now think about that as an employer. 
as a CFO, when you're writing the check for this healthcare and 35% of your population that gets diagnosed with cancer will be completely misdiagnosed. And, you know, that can be everything from, unfortunately, I have this story over and over again of you've been told you have cancer in your local market. Maybe you started treating for it and you find out when you go through our program, you don't even have cancer. But more often than not, you know, wrong staging, wrong pathway, wrong cancer happens all the time. I'm blown away by that. But that's how serious it is. You're talking about hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of claims that should never be happening for even a regular size employer with 200 lives or something. Tons of claims they're paying where they should never pay for. We're overstenting people in America. Another massive issue. Four out of 10 cardiac stents do not happen in Edison Healthcare, to give you some context. Really scary what's going on with stenting in America. So let me ask you, is there any underlying theme that you've been able to recognize as to why the misdiagnosis or the wrong treatment? Overutilization is a huge one too. You know, I can't stand when someone tells me, a center tells me or, or a carrier, but hey, we have great outcomes. You can have a good outcome on a spinal fusion you never needed to begin with. That's a smoke and mirror criteria. I'd say it's the massive issue is misdiagnosis, of course, overutilization, but it's all tied to a generic term that I like to call the cowboy doctor. It is a multi-trillion dollar industry. The notion that you're paid to cut, you're paid to prescribe one thing over another. There's no accountability in healthcare in America, and you've got to be able to solve for that with some basic common sense, practical thing. And that's what we do. Yeah, you mentioned stenting, and I know there's a stat that you like to use since it is close to where you live, but can you give an example of where you see it most predominantly over? Oh, my goodness. So Dartmouth did a study all around the country. They took cardiac stents and its direct correlation to death in America, which is really scary that those two are synonymous, right? Stents supposed to be mainly evasive. They snake a heart cath up your wrist. They fix it, and off you go. You're out in two days but we're overstenting people in America. So I'll give you some context. We've got a client in Arkansas, a big national employer, took a call from one of their patients. Guy had 10 stents in his heart, 10 stents. Don't even know how that's possible until I met this guy. This particular hospital in Arkansas, which by the way, if you look at the Dartmouth study, the entire state of Arkansas is blown up in a big dark blue, which was their criteria for the worst offenders. That's one hospital in Little Rock, Arkansas. Obviously, I won't tell you who that is, but call me if you ever need a stent. I'll make sure you don't go there. But nonetheless, had put 10 stents in this guy's heart in two and a half years. Uh, I, I don't even know how that's possible. They were going to put an 11th stent in. And he's, he heard about the Edison program. He's like, I need help. We did something very simple for him. You know, the other funny thing about healthcare and overutilization and cowboy doctors is that sometimes we don't take the most obvious path to determining if something's broken or how it's broken. Like the whole adage of just change the light bulb, maybe that's all you need to do or change the batteries. Well, sure enough, this guy was taking the drug Plavix from stent number one. Should have never been taking that drug. He wasn't metabolizing it. So we ran a pharmacogenomic test on him. It assesses how you metabolize the medication. And sure enough, top of the list for him in cardiac was Plavix. Do not take that drug. Nobody thought to look at that. And for $150, we figured that out. We ran him through a polypharmacy protocol at our center. We got him switched on his meds. He didn't need the 11 stent and was informed, unfortunately, that he likely didn't need the nine others. So that's pretty scary to think about, that that simple switch of the drug, seeing if they're metabolizing, is the medication working, would have saved that guy's life. Now, his mortality rate is diminished greatly. You don't, you don't go in and reverse that. 
And that's really unfortunate. What I'm curious to know is you've said a lot of things. And you also mentioned in the beginning that you have healthcare centers throughout the country. I want you to talk about that first, but then I also want to ask a question about how you're able to make sure you get the diagnosis correct. And so let's talk first about the centers, like who you typically will see in the center, and then and then we'll go from there. Yeah. So think about a network, so to speak, in America. You think about other center of excellence programs and you know the the whole focus is on, oh, we've got, you know, hundred hundred centers in your area that we recommend and all these doctors and they're great and da 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 da. And I'll tell you, it is absolutely impossible to have a center of excellence in every major community in America. It doesn't exist. But unfortunately, others would probably tell you it does. But they they drop the ball in one key important area. There's a massive assumption that they're getting the diagnosis correct, that they're doing the things appropriately. That's where we differ. And I'll get into our four pillars in a moment. But our centers are strategically placed around the country, have gone through our lengthy accreditation process. I, I jokingly call us a PPO by disease, not by geography. So we're set up strategically, but also with the right centers. And these centers handle very specific things. One of our centers may just only do spines. One of our centers only does valve repair. And so we've got about 18 centers and, and a few more coming online in pretty quick order that have gone through our 15 to 20 month accreditation process. We are literally changing the way that these centers do business. And it really comes down to, yeah, we check all the quality metrics and, and all the different things that they report off on and make sure all of that is jiving and, and all of that. That's the typical accreditation. I mean, that's what everybody and their dog does. They go in and they check a, a bunch of boxes, right. but we're getting under the hood. And it really comes down to Mike, four pillars of our accreditation process. It's proprietary. It's something that Tom Emmerich spent a lifetime creating, not something that we share unless, of course, it's with one of our centers. But I can share the four pillars. And, and underneath these pillars are a million of nuancy things that go into executing on that. These four pillars are the reason we've never lost an employer in our 10-year history. Our patient satisfaction is over 98%. Our ROI predictions for every employer, we're outperforming them with every single employer, which is huge. And then we also go on the hook for revisions. So what do I mean by that? With joints and spines, redos are a massive issue, meaning you go in, you get your back fused. Oh, crap, we screwed up. We got to redo it. We avoid that like the plague. In fact, we're so sure we're going to do it correctly and accurately based on these four pillars that we go on the hook for the revisions. So our singular case rate, our bundled price for care includes the revision, but it's these four pillars. And sorry, I'm a little long-winded. I'm pretty passionate about it. But nonetheless, first pillar of accreditation is speed to care very much doctor, the patient will see you now. Very much, Mike, when you call and you've got something going on, how quickly we get you from point A to point B. There are no waiting lists. We pick you up from the airport. We take you to your hotel. We pick you up from your hotel. We are taken to the center or to the provider where you're escorted every step of the way. There are no waiting rooms. The second pillar, multidisciplinary diagnosis. So all the disease types or, or procedure types you've heard me rattle off today, understanding these folks have other comorbidities associated with what they're dealing with. Maybe they're there for that spine, but they have a heart issue or they're overweight or they're diabetic or they're taking 400 medications. I mean, who knows? But it's important that you have a multidisciplinary team managing that patient at all times. The third pillar, super important. You heard me talk about lack of accountability, the cowboy doctor. 98 plus percent of all of our clinicians are salaried. They are accountable to that center and they are accountable to us. 
they are not paid to cut. They are not paid to prescribe one medication over another or whatever the case may be. The fourth pillar and probably the most important of all, we will never allow a single clinician or that multidisciplinary team to determine a diagnosis on their own. They are required to double, triple, and quadruple check their diagnosis pathways before a board of their peers that we've hand-selected in conjunction with them. So again, we're double, triple, and quadruple checking everything we do, all in a speed-to-care environment. So we do that fourth pillar for one really important reason. Mayo did a study a few years back, brought in all these clinicians of different varying disciplines, blind study, independent study, and were told to come up with a diagnosis. They were given imaging, pathology, labs, had no idea who the patient was. They did that. They left. They came back 90 days later, unbeknownst to them, they were given the exact same patient, told to come up with a diagnosis. And I bet you can guess what happened. Almost half the time, they changed their diagnosis, which is pretty scary to think about just in a 90-day period. So what does that tell me? It tells me that human error is very real. I don't care how educated you are, what US News and World Report says about you, all the publications that that make you look great. That's awesome. You got to have checks and balances in place to ensure proper diagnosis. And that's why we've been so successful. I mean, that is the secret sauce to what we do and why we can do it accurately. So let me ask, because what I heard you say is that you have a validation process that you have multiple redundancy systems in place to take out the human error that just comes with time and more information that comes to you. So there's a validation process, but I also heard you say your folks are salaried. And I want to make sure I make a distinction is that your folks aren't necessarily the ones doing the surgeries, are they? The surgeons, the clinicians that work in our centers are salaried. It's that Mayo Clinic model, if you will. Okay. Uh, that's a common model. They, uh, those guys, I think, are on year contracts. And they're measured based on different metrics, proper procedures, conservative, ethical decisions, what's best for the patient, patient reported outcomes, and they're paid based on that. So they're not paid to cut per se. But yes, our surgeons, most of them are salaried. That's correct. Okay. So you've essentially said, so if it is a knee replacement, one of your doctors who is salaried may do that knee surgery or knee replacement. But the fact that they're not paid to cut essentially changes the game for them because they're not thinking I must do this to essentially make my mortgage payment. They're like, I must do what's right for this patient first. That's correct. Regardless, they're probably going to have human nature being the case. We'll probably have a propensity not to cut if that's the right thing to do. Yeah. And I think also too, Mike, there there are really great surgeons out there that are paid to cut, so to speak. Great ones. And we've got a handful of them. So when we allow that to occur, it might be three or four guys or gals, surgeons within a particular center that we allow to manage our patients. I'm looking at a couple centers in Denver right now. I'm not looking at the centers per se. That's kind of my generic term. I'm literally looking at four or five doctors. That's it. That's it for joints and spines and hips and things like that. So nonetheless, we get very granular. So that is just one of the kind of catch-alls that we have. To your point, it generally means they're going to act with the best interest of the patient, but that's not all you can just count on. You've got to do all the other things that we do behind the scenes to make sure that happens. Yeah. Hence the fourth pillar, the multiple redundancy. So you can go and grab your peers and having multiple sets of eyes and ears on the same problem, access to the same data set, or even more based on their experience. I'd imagine that you probably would have some changes in outcomes based on that criteria alone. Is that? Yep. Absolutely correct. So what I'm curious to know is with the center itself, you mentioned a few things, one that a center exists. And then the second, 
that you may have one that specializes in spine and joint and someone be cardiac. Do I understand that correct? So you, you won't send me to the same center. It really depends on the condition that I have as I present my. That's absolutely correct. Yep. Okay. We're looking at very specific disciplines within specific centers, specific departments within specific centers. So yeah, we're never just all in like Mayo we use for transplants and, and a few other complex things that come across the pipe that are just not typical pathway. So just to be that granular, Mayo is a phenomenal hospital. They do a lot of good stuff, but that's what we've accredited for. That's what we're allowing at this point. And now, are there certain centers or hospitals that you just will absolutely not work with? Absolutely. And I'll stay generic. I could get real specific, but I'll stay generic. I will not under any circumstance work with an education center, a university of this hospital, university of that, Johns Hopkins, you, you know what I'm talking about. Hey, they're all great in their own right. And what are they great for, in my opinion? Research, new technologies, uh, vetting things out. You're just not going to do that with my patients. You're, you're not going to do research and vet things out on my patients. In a research facility, in an education facility, it's truly unfortunate, but patients are usually third or fourth on the list of importance. What trumps it? I think we can all kind of logically conclude this if we thought about it. Grants, research, funding, that's important. That's the number one thing. Training of the residences, the doctors in training, so to speak. Then that uh, experiment, that trial, that placebo event. There's a particular cancer center in Texas where when you are admitted, you have to agree to a trial or a potential trial. And that worries me. If I'm going in, I'm having to do chemo and radiation, and I'm wondering if I'm getting a sugar pill versus the actual thing, that's concerning to me. And I'm being very generic there. But that's why we will not work with an education facility under any circumstance. The reason I ask that is because not having nearly close to the granularity that, that you have, I'm assuming that you can equate a certain improvement in outcome by not doing that or clear your conscience that you're not putting your patients in front of something that could have a placebo implication. Sure. Yeah. It's, we're not doing it. It's evidence-based quality period, you know, and we're concierge medicine at its finest. I mean, so you heard me say we're a PPO by disease. We're strategically set up around the country. You travel in our network. It is a world-class white glove, red carpet experience. And so, you know, they're going to get the absolute best care under all circumstances with us. That's just the way it is. Okay. Now let's walk through how you work with employers and how the patients present themselves to you. Can you walk through that? Yeah, definitely. So employers choose to adopt us really in two different plan design mechanisms. We work alongside the plan. So I'd say 98 plus percent, if not more of our employers are all Buka tied, Blue Cross United, Cigna, Aetna. And so we're able to integrate and work with them pretty successfully. There, there are a couple pockets out there. I won't name any names, but there are a couple pockets out there where they're still pretty difficult to deal with, even though we're not hurting them. And if anything, we're helping them from a stop loss perspective, just because of the very things that we do. But nonetheless, it speaks to our success. Our growth speaks to the success of our ability to work with the BUCAs. We work alongside the plan. We report off on all the different functions. So we manage the claims, the Edison claims, that 6%, if you will, for all of our employers. And then we report off accordingly to their stop loss, if applicable, to the carrier for accumulators, if applicable, to their existing TPA for the other 95% of the stuff that they'll adjudicate at the employer level, whatever the case may be. That's how we kind of work alongside it. But then it comes down to plan design. And our employers do one of two things. They either mandate or they go voluntary. So what do I mean by mandate? 
I mean, you literally put in the plan document, if you go to Edison Healthcare, we will pay 100% of it. If you go anywhere else, we're either not going to pay for it or we'll pay for it at a lesser benefit. And so that sounds pretty aggressive. That's the Walmart model. I'll tell you that close to 75% of our employer base now is mandating. I'd say all but two that are joining Edison 1-1 are mandating. Just because employers are tired of paying for things they should never pay for. And more importantly, you know, you take that 500 employee employer, 100 employee employer, they've got to micromanage the heck out of their high cost claims because that's going to kill the plan. So why settle for subpar care? And so most of our employers are mandating, but you can do it voluntary too, which is just what it sounds like. From mandating, that essentially means when somebody has a particular condition and they may have an open access network, right? Or they may just have an open access, whatever. You're saying, look, in order for this service to be covered, you must reach out to Edison Healthcare first. That's correct. What I'm curious to know is in that model, are there certain diseases like really rare cancers or, you know, fill in the blank, certain illnesses that you're just not equipped to manage? No, we handle all complex care. But when you think about the total expenditures on a health plan, it's going to be the joints, the spines, all cancers, transplants, pediatric things. And we, we do pediatrics as well. So that's it. the more common things are what's going to make up your high cost claims. But yeah, no, we, we have some of the rarest of the rarest things that come across our table, but you don't typically mandate those. Most of our employers are mandating joints, spines, and cancer. I would say those are the big three. There's some differences though, however, in the care pathways. When I think about cancer, and I, you may want to go down that path here in a moment, but cancer has a little bit different pathway just because of the potential longevity of care the fact you don't want to be away from home. So there's some unique triggers that we do there in our patient flow with that. Yeah, because the thing is, is, is I think some experience there, it, it's the challenge of making sure you get the diagnosis correct and then the treatment correct. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you might have heard me talk about my wife's treatment, but we went to a university hospital system and we had one of the top five physicians in the country for her condition. We didn't know that. We just kind of went into the system and it took us finding other doctors that are specialized in her area to figure out that that was the case. But yeah, so, so making sure the treatment is also validated. Yeah. And, and I mean, Mike, think about this. You're a savvy healthcare guy. You've been doing this forever and you happen to come across that. I mean, that, that just shows you how difficult it is. Think about the, the factory worker or just the regular guy just working or gal, they, they don't know this. They know they have healthcare and they'll need it if they, but when it comes down to actually making the right decision, oh my goodness, so difficult to do. And, And you nailed it with cancer. It's very unique. What really gets screwed up is that initial diagnosis, the care plan, the treatment regimen. Most cancer facilities in America can treat at properly. It's where they screw up at the beginning. That's the biggest issue. So get that second opinion I'm just telling you, for spines and joints and everything else, you're going to more than likely do that at an Edison facility. It's a given. But for cancer, unless you either reside where one of our centers is for cancer treatment, or there's a special arrangement set up from a housing perspective or something like that that made sense, which we have some of that, you're more than likely going to go treat back in your local market. And we're going to make sure that that care plan that we established for you gets handled in your local market and gets executed on in the local market with the local oncologist. So we're really good with that. With everything else, spines, joints, transplants, 
high 90 percentile of the time, they always get their care with us because of the experience they're having. Okay. And so I get the mandate now and then the voluntary. Let's talk about that real quick. because I want, I want to, yeah. I want to be able to touch on a couple other things. Sure. Yeah. Voluntary is just what it sounds like. We're going to offer this as a good news benefit. We're going to waive copays and deductibles, and we're going to hope like heck, Sean, that your employer communications platform, we have a robust menu of communication things that we do that if they follow our best practices, they'll be fairly successful. And by fairly successful, I mean, in the first year, human nature, you'll capture about 25% of that small pocket of people spending all your money. So you're going to lose about 75% of it. We just, that's just our data. We know it. And so that's what voluntary is, but we do a really good job communicating. And, And I'll tell you over a four or five year period, we'll eventually have really good engagement. But you know how it is. You've designed plans yourself for years and people just don't engage. They just don't. Uh, even when you waive co-pays and deductibles, you would think that would do the trick. But people forget, you know, because I mean, how often do you have a knee, a hip, a shoulder, a spine or whatever? Not very often. Yeah, hopefully. So, not. But when it does happen, you need yep. people like you to catch. And what I, what I like to tell clients and potential clients is that, you know, if they're a self-funded plan, they're writing a pretty big check and they should be able to write rules that help them protect the amount of zeros on that check, if that makes sense. And so I I like to say, you write the check, you write the rules. Obviously, there's laws to protect employees that that you have to comply by, but walk through in terms of the mandate process. Because typically what happens, I imagine, is that a phone call happens where the doctor says, hey, look, we need to have these tests. So it goes from primary care to specialist, someone finds a specialist. But then built in the plan, there's going to be some type of prior authorization. I would imagine that's in, in a mandated world, that's where you you guys are alerted to a potential problem. Is that is that correct? That's correct. It's going to trigger in the plan document when that specialist says, okay, Mike's in here for a spine and let's verify benefits. Let's figure out what his copay is, is out of pocket. What can he even come here? You know, all the things. Yeah, yeah, and when you do that, it's usually before you arrive, it's going to say, oh, Mike's got to call it us in healthcare. So either that happens or that specialist calls us and says, hey, we have one of your patients. And we would like to take care of this. Can you, will you authorize it? And of course, we say no. And then we call you. And then we get you directed on the right path. Now, hopefully, we've done our job ahead of time. And you already know the call. But nonetheless, that's how we get it. And that's how that mandate would work. So that's what I find is, is odd, is that every health insurance company in the United States should be able to take that call and use it as a redirection, right? To say, okay, talk to Sean, or if they have somebody like, you know what I mean, somebody like you, there should be a redirection effort. The challenge is is that most health insurance companies, their contracts will not allow that steerage because of the contract they have with the hospitals. There's steerage that just cannot happen. And when employers realize that the game is rigged against them, they believe that their insurance companies are designed to help save them money, and they really aren't. Um, Mm -hmm. And then walk in you where you're saying, hey, look, I'm giving you a sword and a shield. The shield is the SPD, but it's also the sword. We're saying, hey, look, we're going to make some plan suggestions, either mandating that they must see you. And so that's a game changer, I'm assuming. Well, and, and the same is true. And I'm on a big initiative right now, Mike, with stop loss. So you think about Edison logically. We're checking the price box because all of our stuff is case rated or bundled. And it's almost always better than what you're going to get in a BUCA plan, Blue Cross United Signet. That's number one. Number two, you trump that with the fact we're avoiding six out of 10 spines, three out of 10 joints. You've heard all the stuff. So 
why wouldn't a stop loss carrier logically discount for Edison utilization, mandate versus voluntary, and to come off those rates? And so some are now. One in particular has even said, man, not only are we going to do that, we'll keep the rates the same, but we'll pay all the Edison fees. We'll pay the cost of travel. We'll pay the Edison fee, how Edison makes our money, which I'm sure we'll get to, but we don't charge a PEPM or PMPM. We don't feel like that is the appropriate thing to do when we're only managing a small pocket of people every year. But nonetheless, we'll pay the Edison fees, how Edison makes their money, uh, because this makes way too much sense for, for us not to do it. And that's what we're seeing. And I'm on a campaign to get more and more stop loss carriers to discount because Edison is ingrained in the plan. That'll happen. I'm certain of it. It's just a matter of time. I mean, you said you're up to 500 clients now. I would just imagine stop loss entities that are not associated with Abuka will be more apt to make those adjustments more quickly. Yeah, but I, I, th- I think even at the Buka level, they need to pay attention to that too, because I'm going to be pretty general here, but I think we all know this in the self-funded world, about 70% of Abuka's profitability is in their stop loss. And so why in the world would they not want an Edison in the mix to not have to pay for things they should never pay for? And I think, I believe that is why the carriers have come on board or slowly but surely doing so full boat, which is great. Yeah, I would also offer that one element where because they have to protect their discounts, they have to be very careful in terms of any type of switching or substitution. And so that may be another reason if you're here, if you're feeling any type of reluctance, is it very much could be that by having you in place, it could disrupt the relationship they have with some of those university hospital systems. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. you could be right. We solved for that with Maritane, for example. Maritane is all in with Edison. And our solve for that was pretty simple. John, we don't want to do what you just described, Mike. Uh, we, you know, we can't cannibalize our own network. So we just, we're a travel network. So we just send the patients to a different state. It's no big deal. Fair enough. And so from a patient experience, let's just say it's a mandatory and maybe it's just an employee. They realize the doctor said, we need tests. They hear the doctor call them and say, nope, it's been denied or however it is. Then you walk in and how do you assure the patient that what they're getting through you is better than if they would have gone to somebody that they've already kind of had that trust. You know, because that's the hard part is like when you already kind of have rapport with a doctor in a scary situation, you've implicitly trusted them. How do Mm -hmm. you walk in then and, and change the game for the patient? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So this is the true skill at Edison Healthcare. Comes down to our patient engagement team led by a guy named Tyler Griffin. He's our director of patient engagement. The time that we spend with patients in that initial education or engagement is significant. I mean, we're talking good 20, 30 minutes. We get to know these folks. There's a sense of trust that's built there. Many of our patient engagement folks have dealt with their own healthcare issues. Tyler, for example, and he wouldn't mind me telling you this, is, has battled brain cancer twice. And I mean, he's just 30 years old. And he went through misdiagnosis and, and poor care and trying to find out what to do. And, and so we all have a story. We all have a story. I mean, Mike, with your wife, you have one that's very close. And so we're connecting on every level with these members and getting them comfortable with the world-class experience they're going to have. And that's why our pull-through is, is close to 100% as you can possibly get it, mandate or not. I always say if, if they call us, we got them just because they're going to, to realize the type of care they're going to get and that we're not telling them that their surgeon's a horrible person or anything. It's nothing like that. 
We're just getting them comfortable with the experience, the why around your employers paying for all this. Why? Because of what's going on in healthcare in America. They want you to have the absolute best. And this is what we're going to do for you to make sure that happens. And so one of the regular questions we get, Mike, is, man, my employees aren't going to travel. They're never left their county, much less their state. And it's just not true. Think about Walmart, cashiers, and, and basically folks that probably are more localized. They don't travel a lot. They don't hop on a plane every time you turn around. And they all travel. It's not a thing. It just seems like it might be. So you, you got to bring it up. And I get that question every single time. But nonetheless, they travel. The type of experience they're having is world-class, truly is. Yeah, and generally my experience, when you put in the free element, you know what I mean? It's the one- No, I do. You're absolutely right. You're saving an employee- up to $8,000, depending on the out-of-pocket. And you see the look in their face. Like, I have healthcare that's accessible. I don't have to worry about choosing between groceries and rent and this. Mm-hmm. So it, it is, it's a game changer. And it truly is. I mean, I'm, I'm going to go have my transplant at Mayo Clinic. They're number one in the world. And that's the other thing we get too, is sometimes I think employees, it's human nature. Oh, what is my employer sticking it to me now? Like, yep. they're shaving costs here, they're shaving costs there. They're not. They are enhancing the benefit and realizing that the ROI is in the appropriateness of care. The ROI is in a healthy member. The ROI is avoiding those revisions and paying for those redos that we're paying, that employers are paying for every single day. So that's the ROI, truly is. Yeah. And you know what you're talking about, Walmart, there was one story that talking about a doctor that ended up calling like it was whoever took over Brian's position and saying the doctor called and said, hey, this person needs a heart transplant now. And if you deny it, this person's blood's on your shoulder. And so that person over their benefit plan basically reached out to the individual and said, hey, are you safe enough for you to get on a plane? They get on a plane to their health center. Person didn't even need a heart transplant. The diagnosis is totally incorrect, right? So it could have saved this person a lifetime of suffering and yeah. you know hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in savings over the life of them. Yeah, Tom tells that story all the time. It was a young lady. Uh, I think she was like 27, double transplant, heart and lung. Walmart sent her to Mayo and she didn't need either one of them. Unbelievable. Patient aside, I mean, that's just absolutely horrible. The millions of dollars that would have cost the health plan for something that was completely unnecessary. Unbelievable. I bring that up on purpose at this point because I want to know how you make money. So we get a flat $4,000 anytime someone travels in our network. And I stress anytime someone travels and there's a delineation there. So do you want me to go into this in a little more detail? Yeah. So what do I mean by that? Let's take that cancer diagnosis. You hear about Edison Healthcare, you call Edison Healthcare for whatever reason, mandate voluntary, doesn't matter. We talk to you. They say, yeah, this sounds good. Let's do it. We're going to gather your medical records or our center will Our center is going to review those medical records remotely. If they agree with the diagnosis pathway, your cancer diagnosis, your treatment plan, your care plan, whatever, in your local market, we're simply going to tell you we agree with it. Stay in your local market and treat. We don't charge for that. So that $4,000, that's free second opinion. We do not charge when we agree with it. If we didn't agree with it, then he or she is going to travel, going to get their full second opinion, care plan, the whole nine yards. More often than not, we're going to get them back home and executing local in the market like we talked about. Now, for spines, joints, everything else that we do, the employer still wants them to travel, even if we agree with it. So the same process happens. We review it remotely. If we agree that, yeah, you do need the spinal fusion, 
boom, 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 go ahead and get it done. The employer says, no, no, wait a minute. We appreciate, Sean, you don't want to charge us because you agree with it, but your pricing is better. Even after we pay for the you know minuscule 1100 bucks in travel, your pricing is better and you don't screw up. And if you do screw up, you go on the hook for it. So they're traveling no matter what. But cancer is a very unique one, but we get a flat $4,000 anytime someone travels. And we tie that into your ROI prediction as well. So when you see your ROI, what we tell you you're going to conservatively save we show you full transparency, cost of waiving co-pays and deductibles, cost of paying for travel, our Edison fees, and so forth. Okay. And you had mentioned in a few times I've seen you talk about your ROI. I want you to talk about that and how you validated the return itself. Yeah, absolutely. So we have a validated ROI calculator validated by the Validation Institute, which, you know, GE and Intel Care Innovations, big in the health Rosetta world. For any Health Rosetta employers or, or consultants out there listening, that's a big deal. And so nonetheless, we got it validated and it'll conservatively tell an employer of any size how much they will save by accessing Edison versus going through their standard network pathway. We are outperforming our predictions with every single employer in our network today. Speaks to why we've never lost one probably. But our four and a half to one ROI is what we predict. Our smallest ROI is seven to one. Our largest ROI in real time is a little over 40 to one. And so that is what we're kicking out and producing for our employers. And again, like I said, full transparency, it's taken into account the knees, the hips, the spines, the cancer, the heart, the transplants. Our consultant partners love to use our tool because it'll take that hundred employee group and kind of tell you where we think you're going to land, what things you're going to have. So our consultant partners love to use it as a projection, but we can also go back and I can take, you know, 2019 claims data and plug it into that calculator, plug in the actual frequency of diseases or procedures, the actual cost the employer paid, and then bump that up against Edison's costs, our avoidance of things, and all the little metrics that you've heard me talk about. And you can actually see in real dollars what you would have saved had you been with us in 2019 versus 2020. And it's really, really cool. And so that's basically how it works. That's amazing. And we think about it because, like, you know, putting on the old national consulting hat you know, working for a national consulting firm, there's a lot of really smart people that like to put on the discount hat and say, okay, you would have been with Blue Cross instead of Cigna or Cigna versus this is what your discount would have been. And what yeah. I'm hearing you say is like, look, dude, the discount is only one thing. So you're going to have a case rate for your service and you're on the hook for, by the way, that's freaking huge that your guys are on the hook for rescission. Just if you think about complications and spine and any other orthopedic thing alone. That's a huge testament to your confidence. But then you're like, look, the, the whole procedure per procedure comparison, that's irrelevant because embedded in what happened in 2019 are these things that it should have never happened. That's the beauty of it. If I'm hearing your ROI correctly, it's like, look, we're still going to talk to people. There's still going to be events that they're going to say you need a knee replacement. We're going to agree with that. And you don't have to come to us if you don't want to. But your employer might say, look, we're going to write the check to that anyhow, right? Yeah, absolutely. And they do. We don't have a single employer that doesn't basically insist on it, even if we agree with it or not. And so that happens 100% of the time, actually. My point on that one was it's not about a discount to discount. You know, your carrier already had a chance to perform. Now, based on our analysis, if something similar happens next year, you should expect one less suffering from your employees and that. We're going to get the diagnosis correct. We're going to validate that through our four pillars and our peer review process. And then when a surgery happens, 
generally we're going to be on par or significantly better than what you would have paid through your discount through fill in the blank carrier. Is that yeah, is that that's correct? correct. Absolutely. We check the price box, but I feel like that's an obligation that shouldn't even be a conversation anymore in healthcare. Price should be an obligation. You should be priced ethically and appropriately. I get it. Healthcare in America doesn't dictate that or doesn't show that, but we do. And we check the price box, but you know, again, deep discount, who cares? Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, Sean, with that being said, is there something that we didn't ask that we should have as a part of this conversation? No, not at all. Thanks for taking the time. Great questions. I've enjoyed getting to speak and, and with some of the things that you've invited me to in the past. And we're just really excited about what we're doing. We're continuing to grow and grow and grow. We're dipping our toes into some really interesting things coming down the pike. Uh, like I'm tired of care navigation, actually not navigating. And so <laughs> we, we are taking that on ourselves and we've got to do it. We've got yeah. to do it. That's a different conversation. And yeah, that's a pain point for me as well. Sean, if somebody wants to get a hold of you or Edison Health, how should they do that? Yeah, I'll tell you what, email me, call my personal cell, because if you call our 1866 number, you'll get routed to different places and may not get right to me. Uh, but by all means, call me. So my cell phone, 918-508-6593. I've got a direct office line, but I'm never at that desk. So that's not important. Or email me, Sean, S-H-A-W-N, at edisonhealthcare.com, E-D-I-S-O-N, healthcare.com, or info at edisonhealthcare.com if you choose to do it that way. You can hop on our website as well, which is www.edisonhealthcare.com. Fantastic. Well, Sean, I always say, you know, I, I love to have these conversations because one, I get to learn from, it's not inside information, but I get to learn from the people that are building amazing and the other thing that I just find in common with most people in your position that are really driving change, it's the level of passion, enthusiasm, and purpose for what you do. So thank you so much for what you yeah, do. No, thank you for the time. This was fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of Solving Healthcare. If you like this episode, please rate it and also provide your comments. If you would like to know how this service or others could fit within your organization, or if you'd like to sign up for future podcasts and news updates, please go to www.solvinghealthcare.net and click on contact.